Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr, and we are with you once again this week from Washington, D.C. It's still balmy here in October, uh, and we appreciate you very much joining us. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us again for another fabulous forecast. Remember that on the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And finally, we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. So if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling scared or ebullient, stop. Don't make any money decisions when you're, uh, when, when you're feeling waffled emo- emotionally. Then, you know, that's something I've been, we're going to ask Kenny Polcari in a minute about that, but I've been hearing that from clients. Hey, Michael, don't you, aren't you worried about the market? Michael, it's been up for a while. Michael, shouldn't we be raising cash? Hey, interest rates are going up. What's the Fed going to do? This thing with China can't be good. What's going on with Kavanaugh? Shouldn't we sell? So people, when you, when you hear that, and if you've been saying those things yourself, I'm going to ask you to take a couple of steps back, take a big time out, and understand and recognize that you're having an emotional response, that you're feeling, uh, that you're feel, starting to feel scared, you're starting to feel worried, and worried and scared doesn't change your investment program, should not. There's advice from the forecast, worried and scared shouldn't change your investment program. So take a look at your asset allocation, and as long as you've got money that is, can be invested for three or five years or longer, you stick with your investment plan. Uh, if you need liquidity in the short term, it should never be tied up in long-term envi- investments, regardless of the level of the stock market, okay? That's what I do, and it's hard to do. It's what I do with my own money. It's certainly what we advise clients. So... Uh, from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and managing director from O'Neill Securities, the one, the only, the articulate, the fabulously handsome, debonair, articulate, and older than I am, my friend Kenny Polcari. Hi, Kenny. Welcome to the forecast again. <laughs> well, Michael, how are you? It's been a while. You've been traveling the world, but, uh, you know, the market continues to march on. Or it march got, well, you know, I got back from Delhi this morning. That Now, I don't mean the Delhi, you know, over on uh, 24th. <laughs> I, I mean the I mean the one in India. And, and I hit Dubai first. I've never been over there. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating to be to the Middle East and then go to, over to Asia. I mean, what it was a, a remarkable experience. But it's on my Facebook right. page. So take a look at my Facebook page, Michael K. Farr on Facebook. I'm there. Great. All right. Well, I will do that. I'm not a Facebook user, but my wife is. So then we'll go through. Uh, I'll go through hers to take a look at it. All right. You got to see this, Kenny. So, Kenny. All right. So markets, you know, uh, waffling around. Uh, last week was not a good week while I was away. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm back. Markets can will be fine again. Uh, but, you know, they go down when I'm they get nervous when I'm out of the country. I think, Kenny, is the big <laughs> problem. Tell me what happened with markets last week. What's going on here? Listen, it was the surge. By now, everyone knows it was the surge in yields. Uh, that we went right up through three, almost three and a quarter, uh, very, very quickly. I think much faster than uh, than a lot of people had imagined. You had pressure on emerging markets. You had uh, faster than you imagined. Did you talk. think rates would go up that fast? I did not think rates were going to go up that fast. But neither did I. The fact that they the, the fact they did that they did go up that fast. It makes perfect sense now that the market's going to back off a little bit. Only until. People have a better sense of what's going to happen starting on Friday when they when they announce earnings, because 
if we get good earnings and we get strong top-line revenue growth as well as uh, strong earnings growth, then valuations will be appropriate, right? But if you start to get valuations at this level and you start to get a weakness in top-line revenue growth, then, then it doesn't make sense anymore. And Markets will adjust and prices will adjust. doesn't mean it's going to crash. just means that there's an adjustment. And so I think what's happening now, because this week hasn't, you know, Monday and Tuesday this week have not been so great for the markets as well. Uh, there's been this carryover, this kind of, this kind of uh, nervousness and angst. Uh, over rates and over earnings and over uh, trade, that uh, the path of least resistance is lower. And now we've broken some key technical support. Certainly NASDAQ has broken the, the short, the intermediate, and it's testing its long term. The Dow still hasn't pierced its 50 Tell me, yet. Tell me what that means. Okay, so stop for one second. Tell me what that means, that we are breaking down that the, those – when you say technical resistance, what does that mean? For, if Fred and Ethel are listening to us today, what does that mean to them? Well, so in this case, there were technical supports, right? They're trend lines that, that uh, over 50 days or 100 days and over 200 days, they measure the, the internal strength of the market. So they're typically levels that if the market backs off, they're typically levels where uh, buyers would defend the position, you know, where buyers would step in uh, and be more aggressive at those levels. But what ends up happening is when there's angst and when there's kind of nervousness and cautiousness, then, then the buyers step back and they, and they test the, the anxiety level of the sellers. They want to see the how technical they, support are they really levels. Nervous. Okay, so, they bro- so it's broken down, and when it breaks through one of those levels, it typically means it's going to go lower, right? Well, when it breaks through and is unable to rally back, then typically, yes, it sets itself up to test the next level, right? So, so the first one it tests is the short term, which is the 50-day. If it breaks the 50-day, it doesn't rally back. Then, you know, you look for the market to want to test the 100-day, which is down, you know, probably another, uh, probably another couple of percent uh, lower. And then you want to wait and see if it does there. Now, last week, NASDAQ had an incredibly difficult week, and it broke the 50, the 100, and now it's testing its 200. The 200 is key. The 200 is a long-term technical trend. The 200-day moving average, right? The 200-day moving average of prices, okay, is a long, long trend. Yeah, and if it goes below that, what does that mean? Well, well, if it pierces that and is unable to, you know, rebalance itself there north of that that trend line, then typically what it does, it sets itself up for a flush out, right? So you might get a couple of days where it just flushes, and it really tests uh, the will of not only the buyers, but really the will of the sellers. It's right. Really what happens is, that, you know, it's it, it, it's one of those moves where you said on your opening statement, do not get emotional, right? You when can't, that happens, right? You can't get emotional. Quite honestly, if the names are good and the story is good and the story hasn't changed and the stock that is broken down, those are actually the opportunities to take more money and put it to work in that name versus trying to take money out of that. So, look, we know we're going to have these issues in cybersecurity. We know we're going to have these issues with all of these online social media. We know that everybody right. in the world is trying to hack this stuff and get all all of your personal information. I know that. I mean, it's it's only a matter of time, right? I mean, all of these people are having problems. Hell, they got into Target. They get into this store and that store, and they get into the. They hack them. They figure it out. They hack. They try. They try and hack most every company uh, a, a few times a week, if not a few times a day. So that's life yeah. in, in 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 the. What is this? The twenty second century. Twenty first. Twenty first. Still only the twenty first. Yeah. Do you think we'll have that solved by the twenty second century? I've been in India. Did I tell you that? I arrived from Delhi this morning. Never mind. Okay. So now look. It, 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 so we know that, but you can't just say we're. I'm sorry, we're not going to tell you. And you can't do what Facebook does. By the way, you can't sit there and say uh, wait like three weeks to come forward with a statement. 
You, you have right. to say, look, here's what happened. Here are the facts. Uh, we're still investigating and we'll we'll update you as soon as we have more information. Or here are well, the facts and here's what we're doing for the next four steps here. And here's going to be our follow up. And boom, we're on it. And right. Well, you know, the, the one they should have learned was for Equifax, because when Equifax, yes, they came right out. And they said, look, here's the problem. Here's what we're going to do to help you. Here's what you need to do to, to protect your credit, your, you know, your history, your, your, uh, your files. Um, and we're going to be there to help you. You know, they, they actually, even though they get punished, uh, yeah. they didn't nearly get punished as much as they would have had they decided to keep their mouth shut. I, look, I used to own a crisis communications from a PR crisis communications. This stuff is 101. This is not advanced right. stuff. This is not technical no. stuff. This is stuff that anybody, you know, who, who watches Wheel of Fortune should figure out on their own, for God's sakes. Right. All right. right. Now, look. Uh, I'm running out of my time with Kenny Polcari. I can't believe that because I love my so time with Kenny Polcari. But and we're ranting about things that are actually very important, and, and other companies should be paying attention. So Kenny told you that we've got earnings coming out Friday. It's going to be the banks. Uh, we I have been waiting, Kenny. You know, I was on I was on uh, uh, with Tyler Matheson for the Fed announcement, and he wanted to know what I was watching. I said I'm watching the bank stocks, Tyler. Uh, I want to see what they're going to do on this news. I'm not really worried about the rest of the market. Bank stocks didn't move. They almost trended lower. So that has been puzzling to me. What are you expecting from the bank stocks this Friday? And what should investors be thinking for the balance of the year here? And then we got to go. I actually actually think that bank stocks are going to to, uh, surprise the upside. I think the moving rates is going to be good for them. I think you're going to see the forward guidance being very strong. And look, banks as a group, the the whole sector, I think is up maybe 1% on the year, right. on the year. They, right. They've been horrible performers. But I think now that rates are, are steadily going up and we're going to continue to raise rates, that's going to benefit the banks. And I think you're going to hear that. Kenny Polcari likes the, the banks, time. folks. Yeah, and look, in a steeper yield curve, a steeper yield curve will help the banks. We don't have a steeper well, yield curve yet, but we do have high enough well, rates, particularly on the short end, that banks can now earn a money market. Right. On those deposits, they can earn returns on deposits. They couldn't do that two years ago. I I, I, we don't make recommendations here on the forecast, but I agree with Kenny Polcari. I like the banks here. Yeah. Uh, And I think energy, I think energy is going to surprise to the upside. Certainly oil, you know, approaching 80, uh, 75, 76 balls a barrel. It scares me when I agree with Polcari this much and I agree with Polcari (laughs) again and it's scaring me again. So coming into the end of the year now, tell me because we got to go. Tell me into the end, end of the year. What do we got? So I, I think the market's going to test a little bit lower right now, and then when earnings come out, we're going to see the market rally into the end of the year. It's not going to rally hard, but I think it's going to rally more toward the, the, the previous highs of this year. So where are we, 20? I think it's going to, you know, the 29, 50 level, I think is probably where we're going to see uh, the year end. We're going to rally into the end of the year, 29.50 on the, on the S&P. Yeah, uh, I think that's what we're going to do. Okay, that's a few percent higher than here. We'll take that. My friend Kenny Polcari from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, uh, Managing Director at O'Neill Securities. Hey, KP, thank you, brother. Who loves you, baby? You do. I'll talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming back with Dan Mahaffey on the forecast. We have a lot to talk with Dan about. Remember last week, and if you didn't remember, I remember, Dan said that he thought that uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh would not make it through would not make it through. Uh, it looks like uh, we, we've we've uh, somehow uh, the, the they've managed to thread that needle. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh is now through. And um, uh, we've got a lot more to hear about from him when we come back. Please stay with us on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Farcast every week. I'm Harry Jennings, associate producer for the show, and we love bringing it to you. At the end of the month, 
Michael will be a panelist at the SABEW Fall Conference on October 25th in New York. He'll be talking about the outlook for markets and the economy after the midterm elections and beyond. SABEW stands for the Society for Advancing Business Editing and Writing, an association of business and financial journals from across North America. Investors and consumers rely on access to good information, and that's why business journalism is so important. And if you cover the markets and the economy, then check out the conference at SABEW.org. That's SABEW.org. We hope to see you there. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr, and we are in Washington, D.C. on another balmy October evening. The clouds are building in Washington, not only uh, just around the city's weather, but it seems as some of the clouds have been stirred up a little bit this week. And when we see the clouds stirring in Washington, we, of course, go to our senior political analyst, Dan Mahaffey, who is with the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Of course, Dan holds a couple of degrees from Georgetown University, uh, studied security and intelligence and spent time in China and is an expert's expert, a D.C. insider's insider. Uh, And of course, we get all of our insight from Dan. And he was wrong last week. Dan, you were wrong last week. Uh, I was wrong. uh, I'm I'm prepping the crow (laughs) on the grill right now. Do you do you remember, uh, you know, there was a show you don't remember. You're doing it was a show. Happy Days with the Fonz. And the Fonz couldn't say the word wrong. He couldn't say the word wrong. And he tried to apologize once. It was a terrific show, funny show. And he said, I was and that's all he did for quite a while. It looked like he was going to drool. Anyway, tell it. So we said a couple of things last week. We said Rod Rosenstein was going to stay in justice and that the president wasn't going to fire him. Actually, that that has been moved. Right. Has he actually met with the president yet? I heard that that. Meeting was canceled. That big Thursday night meeting was canceled. And now he's just going to fly somewhere with the president on Air Force One. Has that happened? Yeah, the, the, me- the big meeting was canceled. I, the Air Force One conversation has taken place. And it appears that uh, in order to prevent the headlines from reading like a Saturday Night Massacre 2.0 uh, <laughs> before the midterms, that, the, that Rod Rosenstein will be staying for now and that any kind of shakeup in the Justice Department will be put off until after the midterms. So tell us what you think happened with Brett Kavanaugh, because you and I, I actually agreed with you as much as I hate to admit it. Um, now, I was only agreeing with you and you were the one who was not 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 I necessarily. But um, it, it, I, I mean, it seemed to me that it was logical that the administration prior to midterm elections would throw a candidate for the court under the bus in front of that much opposition, come up with a female candidate, somebody who would be have greater political appeal coming to the midterms. I mean, that just made sense. So what happened? It did. One, that uh, the first fact is that Don McGahn prepped uh, Justice Kavanaugh extremely well for his uh, hearing uh, before the court, understanding that if there was any kind of wavering, Trump was ready to pull the, the nomination. So as much as uh, many Americans were taken back by the uh, the mannerisms of Judge Kavanaugh during that hearing. Uh, we have to remember that was also an appeal to an audience of one, uh, as the White House was wavering, particularly after Dr. Ford's uh, very compelling testimony. The president said uh, he found that, Dr. Ford's testimony compelling, too. He right? did. The president did. And he, the president, who's usually been uh, far more vociferous on these things, actually did kind of get a little 
uh, harder on Dr. Ford when he was on the campaign trail as we got closer to the vote. It did not take him long to regain the vociferous high ground, however. No, it did not. He did revert back to form very quickly. But within that 48-hour window of Dr. Ford's testimony and Kavanaugh's uh, rebuttal, in a sense, where it was very heated, the, the I like beer, I drink beer, uh, back and forth, which was not not any side of the uh, dais was bathing themselves in glory. Uh, but what that did is it, it showed the president that Kavanaugh was willing to fight for this nomination. And then we roll forward to the next day, and you see Senator Flake make the, the stunning deal with uh, with his counterpart, Senator Coons, across the aisle uh, from Delaware. And Senator Flake of Arizona, who owes nothing to the Republican Party right now, he's on his way out. He's uh, you know, would not be able to win a primary in Arizona, given how he stood up to President Trump. He was able to negotiate this one-week delay, uh, get the FBI investigation in place. And I think that saved Kavanaugh because that investigation and, and not turning up any kind of other uh, skeletons in uh, Justice Kavanaugh's closet, uh, that allowed for uh, Senator Collins to come back into the fold uh, and allowed for uh, Senator Manchin, uh, Senator Flake, and a few others to have their concerns about Kavanaugh assuaged. So it was Flake. Yes, yes Flake. In, in the end, as much as the delay probably drove Grassley and McConnell up the wall, uh, it did allow for the for the Republicans to hold together and at least uh, say that there was, you know, as much as you know, Democrats will probably decry the nature of the investigation. Um, as is partisanship right now, no one would agree whether or not the sky is blue yeah, uh, exactly. right now. But at exactly. least it allowed for uh, some kind of independent, independent investigation to keep the senators on side. And perhaps at least, I hope, moving forward, uh, assuage some concerns about the legitimacy of a court with Kavanaugh. So a lot, of, a lot of people, Dan, feel that the, that the president backed um, uh, J- uh, Judge Kavanaugh all the way through that it steamrolled this, that it was a huge power play on the part of the White House. You're saying it was much closer than that and that there was some waffling and wavering and that it, you, there was a lot more uh, for people to see than actually the United Front perhaps showed. Yeah, there was a lot. Of, I think at least at the at the White House end of Pennsylvania Avenue, there was a lot more wavering uh, and concern about this. The real steamroller in this at the end of the day was Mitch McConnell. Was Mitch McConnell, um, and, okay. And was the, the way that he kept this moving and, and kept the votes, even with the uh, week-long delay, that this process was going to happen. And I think it's been particularly interesting to notice among uh, right-wing social media and, and sort of the, the Breitbart wing of the party, which uh, many of them have no love lost for Mitch McConnell, uh, are now singing his praises over getting Kavanaugh confirmed. So it was Flake or it was McConnell? What do you think? Both? Flake allowed the cover. It was McConnell that kept the, the momentum behind the scenes going. All right. All right. You know, all I'm picturing is that scene in, in Trading Places where Dan Aykroyd is choking Eddie Murphy as he says, it was the Dukes, it was the Dukes. You remember? I mean, yeah, so it was Flake. Something I think. like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it was and, one and, of and them. Poor Jeff Flake 
poor Jeff Flake probably will be wandering the halls of Congress in a dirty Santa suit the way uh, <laughs> the, the, end of, um, the end of his tenure is going and the way the Republican Party has moved away from him. Oh, and then he will become you know, another Washington lobbyist and make 10x. So, I mean, he'll probably survive yeah. just fine. Yeah. OK, so we've got a, there was more news today. Today, I've got to get your I've got to get your insights. Nikki Haley, ambassador to the U.N., who, who has uh, seemed somewhat moderate to a lot of people from what I've heard, uh, has resigned. Um, and we're hearing a lot of scuttlebutt about maybe some uh, seat changes and shifting uh, here uh, with Lindsey Graham. And uh, so tell us what's going on. So first, uh, yeah, the, she resigns today. The, the official story is that she wants to move into the private sector um, and be able to uh, to make some money, which I think is an understandable answer for a lot of people in Washington, given uh, the state of public servant salaries in this country. But as we unpack this, let's think about the timeline. The president wants to shake up uh, the Justice Department following the midterms. Uh, he's no wait 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 wait. Okay, now hang on a second. So let's uh, you're, you're you're telling me there's more to this. So Nikki Haley is resigning somewhere in December as ambassador to the UN. But there's a backstory here. What does that have to do with justice? Well, it has to do with the fact that if they if they shuffle justice, the and as we saw at the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, the leading contender uh, who's repeatedly auditioning to replace Jeff Sessions, I believe, is Lindsey Graham. Okay. Uh, in the way he's approaching uh, some of these matters, the Russia investigation, his support for Kavanaugh, et cetera. And so that if and Graham being a senator uh, would perhaps be more easily confirmable uh, in the younger people at Justice who are very pro-Trump. Um, so therefore, you could move Lindsey Graham over to attorney general. And when that Senate seat opens up in, in uh, South Carolina, that Nikki Haley is available to be appointed. She's very popular, uh, isn't by she? Governor, but yeah, she's very popular there. She could be appointed by uh, Governor Henry McMaster, who was actually ah. her lieutenant governor ah. when she was governor. Really? So she could be, yes, she could be appointed by her old lieutenant governor uh, in his role as governor now to be the next senator. Uh, from South Carolina, should Lindsey Graham take the post of justice? Any predictions for the next week for us? Or are we going to? You think we're going to go sideways a little bit? I mean, could we actually hear about Wall Street and earnings or anything else other than Washington and President Trump and what's going on here? Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see that Trump will have some of the uh, the podium to himself as Congress tries to get out and on the campaign trail. And I think what we're going to be tracking is is who is running to Trump and who is running away from Trump uh, on these uh, Republican seats that are in jeopardy. Running to and running away. And we're going to hear more about it next week uh, with my friend Dan Mahaffey. Dan, Godspeed. Come back to us next week. We need you. Your insights are fabulous. And ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you being with us. We have a fabulous guest coming up for you. We have a fabulous guest, C.J. Corneliuson. Did I say it right? Excellent. I said it right. We're going to talk about medicine. We're going to talk about cancer. We're going to talk about the economics of cancer uh, and what's going on and why what she's doing in Washington. When we come back on the Farcast, you're listening to Farcast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Farcast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? 
In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Far Miller and Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael's insights. For more information or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com. Or call me at 202-530-5608. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We're having a great Farcast tonight. Thank you so much for joining us and for inviting us into your earbuds and into your cars and your desks and homes. We appreciate being there with you. I had someone who told me they were listening to the forecast in the shower, and I thought perhaps that was too much information. But we're happy to be wherever you're happy to have us. We really are. We're not modest about that at all. Uh, we've had a great forecast. Kenny Polcari explaining really why markets had been weak why he's watching these earnings very closely and why we have to be careful about jumping to too many negative conclusions before the end of the year, not to get emotional and make sure you see the whites of their eyes and that you take a deep breath here as we process a lot of important information. Dan Mahaffey, really fascinating. I thought Nikki Haley's resigning. Lindsey Graham might be resigning from the Senate to become the attorney general. Then Nikki Haley's going to run for his seat uh, in the Senate. And we're going to have a lot of shifting of the chairs here in Washington. Nikki Haley, very uh, highly respected, not only in her state, but also here. So now, uh, third section. You know, we try to uh, try and cover other subjects here. And we've talked about health care before and the rising rates of health care, uh, cost of health care. One of the things that uh, we want to talk about a little bit tonight, fascinating subject, devastating subject. Uh, we're going to talk about cancer, but not just cancer and general cancer. There, we're going to talk about metastatic cancers and the costs of those and what can be done and, and, and what's going on with metastatic cancers uh, in the U.S. So I have a fabulous uh, guest with me uh, this evening. Fabulous guest this evening, C.J. Corneliuson is the head of, of now a new not-for-profit um, uh, to cover the metastatic breast cancer uh, community. She founded uh, a, an organization called Mediviver, um, and she is a 12-year survivor with metastatic breast cancer. That's really amazing. Welcome to the Farcast, C.J. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Wow. And congratulations, 12 years survivor of, of metastatic breast cancer. And ladies and gentlemen, she looks great, by the way. I want to tell you, she looks great. 12 years is going to be nothing uh, in the scheme of, 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 of her battle here, I can tell you right now. Um, t- tell us what, what, why you started and what your big hope is here for Mediviver, because I've got some more stats and we're going to do some economics here, too. 
Well, when I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer very shortly thereafter, I saw that uh, the statistic at the time was that less than one-half of 1% of the federal cancer budget went into stage 4 cancer or metastatic cancer research. Right. And that was a real shock. And so I One-half of 1%. One-half of 1%. Yeah. And so I thought, uh, what can I do? You know, I called around 20 organizations and I said, I want to donate strictly to metastatic cancer research. All 20 said, you can't do it. Really? I said, where can I do it? It. They said, you can't do it anywhere. And so I said to some of my friends who also had metastatic breast cancer, right. I said, well, maybe we can fund something ourselves. So we started with yard sales. I mean, we started very small. Uh, and then we built this whole program, became a nonprofit in 2009. So what we do is we put 100% of every donation that we receive into our research grant program. Really? Yes. 100, so 100 cents of every dollar donated goes right to research for metastatic breast cancer. So you're, there's, there's, you're, some, somehow all your overhead and expenses are getting covered elsewhere. Uh, that's right. First of all, we're all volunteers, but also in addition to that, wow. uh, different companies sponsor us, some pharmaceutical companies, others give us uh, th- that money for overhead. Now, we're also virtual, so we don't have a building. Uh, so we, you know, communicate over the phone, etc. cetera. Um, so that helps cut down expenses as well. We that's just pretty make powerful. That's that's a pretty powerful model to know that a hundred cents of every dollar goes. Uh, that that's that's really important. Here are some facts, ladies and gentlemen, my our wonderful forecast listeners. Cancer typically develops in older people. Eighty-seven percent of all cancers in the United States are diagnosed in people fifty years of age or older. In the U.S., approximately forty out of a hundred men and thirty-eight out of a hundred women will develop cancer during their lifetime. So essentially four out of 10 of all of us, four out of 10 of all of us will develop cancer in our life. That's kind of chilling, isn't it? I mean... Well, it is. And also on this, what I would like to add is that many young people are developing metastatic breast cancer. In fact, the rate per 100,000 of women aged 25 to 39 developing breast cancer, that has doubled since 1979, the rate. We don't know why. It's doubled. We don't know why. No, no. There was an 18-year-old high school student that recently died of metastatic breast cancer. So this can hit very young people, and young women are especially at risk within five years of giving birth to a child. Really? Because much of breast cancer is hormone-related, and you have very active hormones in that time period. My wife, Laurie, developed breast cancer about three or four years after our youngest was born. I didn't mm-hmm. know that it was related to the... Uh, and so she went through it at uh, 35 years old. She's been cancer-free. I don't want to... If I tell you how long she's been <laughs> cancer-free now, you'll know how old it is. No, 20 years, Laurie's been cancer-free. Right. It's fabulous. It it's, is. It's fabulous. Uh, thank God. Um, so, uh, but let's, let's, let's be... I don't think we've stopped to do this yet, but when we talk about metastatic or a metastasis, what is that? What does that mean? That's when the cells of your original cancer leave the original location. So for breast cancer, they leave the breast and they move through the system and they settle in other areas. That can be the lungs, the brain, the liver, the stomach, the colon. They can really settle anywhere and they form tumors there. And when that happens, you're considered terminally ill. And it only takes, you know, I think at that point, it's hard to track them all down, right? Because you can have just a couple of cells. When you think you've got it all, there are a couple of cells that have snuck out, typically through the lymph system. Is that the main carrier? Mm -hmm. Through the lymph system. uh, And those cells move around and they grow elsewhere. And you just have to keep trying to keep uh, track of them. Now, 
you're a 12-year survivor. Yes. But the five, the survival rates are not very good for metastatic cancer of any kind, are they? No, they're not. I think roughly uh, 25% are still alive at the five-year point. Um, so it is, it is a very deadly disease. People do live longer. They do now. They do live, well, that's the current statistic, okay, that, that, uh, that, uh, that number reaches that. that is, is going up, yeah. Yeah, but, but people are living somewhat longer. Uh, we're just not living near long enough. I mean, you want a full lifetime, obviously, yes. yeah. is what you want. Um, but it is, it is a deadly disease, and it's more aggressive with younger people uh, in general. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, most all cancers, yes. Uh, are, are more aggressive in younger people? I'm not certain on that. I, I couldn't I, say for sure. I can't say for sure, but I say lots of things on the forecast where, you know, I'm not entirely, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. Uh, so I, as I, uh, looking at the economics of cancer, total expenditures um, on, uh, for cancer care, about $150 billion, $150 billion a year go for cancer care, uh, and about a total of $50 billion in research. The research into metastatic or research is very, very small, isn't it? It's a very small Why is it so small? Well, there was the belief for a long time that there was nothing you could do if the cancer spread. But science has improved considerably. There is a lot that could be done, but there's not enough money to do it. There's been a very heavy focus on prevention and early detection. And one must consider that even patients diagnosed at stage zero and stage one, they're also metastasizing. So it's not Really? Even at stage one? And stage zero. Zero? I didn't know there was a stage zero. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now, ladies and gentlemen, just, you you know, uh, all of us have uh, at times various tragedies that affect our lives. I I want to tell you that I really take my hat off to CJ because as this confronted her and she thought about the other people in the world who were facing this and she looked into uh, what research was being done to help folks with these metastases and metastasizing cancers, there wasn't anything. So she didn't take no for an answer. She she stopped. She founded Metaviver, and now Metaviver is sending $2 million a year for cancer research, and there's no overhead, right, CJ? No. Absolutely fabulous. Now, economically, this makes a difference, too, and I I hate to always bring things back to the dismal science, but that is what I do for a living. I deal with the dismal science and the uh, generation of as much filthy lucre as we possibly can for our clients. it's not it's not all that filthy to us. Uh, but but this cancer takes people out of the workforce. They take people in their productive years, don't they? So, yes, t- t- tell us about that. Well, it, it, it does, depending upon the treatments you're on and what you can do. You know, we have had metastatic patients working uh, almost full time until weeks before they've died. Uh, part of that is because if they quit work, they lose their health insurance and they can't pay for their treatments. So that's that's one of the reasons. Nevertheless, you can live. Many people now work a long time after they're diagnosed. And if we can extend that longevity with a decent quality of life, which we're trying to do with our research, then these people can keep working and continue to be productive members. Continue to be productive economically, continue to be productive socially, productive in their families. This is wonderful work. 
Uh, uh, CJ, tell us, we're about out of time, but tell us what our listeners can do if, if they want to make a difference, one, to raise awareness, and then perhaps to contact Metaviver if they want to help there. Well, you can certainly always look up metaviver.org, our organization. Uh, you can call the telephone number and talk to us. You can send emails. What's the we telephone number, CJ? And uh, so you can, you can call up and ask how you can help. We have uh, a lot, a big uh, event going on these, these two days now here in Washington, D.C. We're speaking with ten, uh, senators about increasing the amount of metastatic research being done, about better funding for metastasis research. So we're doing that as well. Spreading awareness, donating, that's all very helpful. Uh, and the phone number you can call is 818-860-1226. That's 818-860-1226. Well, it's absolutely terrific work, and we thank you so much for doing it. We thank you so much for joining us on The Farcast. We always learn so much on The Farcast. We're covering markets, we're covering Washington, and we're covering what's happening in your world, and we're taking a different look at medicine. We're taking a different look at immigration. We're taking a look, different look at a lot of things going around the world and, and how we might look at it through a market eye, an economic eye. And, and sometimes we just have to consider a number of these things with our heart, which is what we're uh, doing certainly a bit with Metaviver tonight. So thank you very much for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us again for another fabulous forecast. We've had some great guests. We're going to be back again with you next week. Uh, Please remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell anything on the forecast, you didn't. That includes the banks and the oils and everything Kenny talked about. We're not recommending anything there. We're not recommending. If you think we're recommending a, a change in your investment allocations, we're not. If you consider changing any of your investment or financial strategies, please check with a financial professional, your uh, CPA, somebody, or give us a call at Farr Miller and Washington. I have some wonderful people, uh, really nice people, very bright people who would love to help you. FarrMiller.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening in Washington, D.C. I'm Michael Farr. 